All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America. Happy Monday. What a busy Monday it has been already just a short while ago. Queen Elizabeth II's casket was lowered into the royal vault at St. George's Chapel in Windsor. That is the official end of the public mourning and funeral services for the longest reigning monarch in British history, Queen Elizabeth II, 70 years in power. Two weeks of pretty extraordinary honorifics and celebration of her life and mourning of her passing. The final service concluded with the singing of, well, a song that is quite famous in British tradition, God Save the King. A large, ornate, extraordinary ceremony that stretched, like I said, over about 11 days, gave the Britons their ability to celebrate every aspect of an extraordinary ruler. I don't think there'll be anyone like her in modern times, being able to see Prince William in full military uniform, Prince Harry in his, or Harry, I guess he's not Prince anymore, in his suit all together, family together, united in a final farewell was really, really a remarkable ceremony. Millions of Americans watched it online and on television all day today. We're not going to disappoint you. We're going to take you inside one more time, a celebration of Queen Elizabeth II's extraordinary reign, her leadership, her tenure, are unlike anything in recent modern history, not only for the longevity, but also for the ability to endure crisis, to embrace the United States, to weather a world war, a Vietnam war, two Gulf wars, the Afghan war on terror, just an extraordinary leader, always at the side of the United States when needed, and always a calming force, someone committed always to the notion of public service. Her royalty was second to her sense of public service. Her own words show that. Her own actions show that, including voluntary against her father's wishes when she was a princess in the British military auxiliary during World War II. This is an extraordinary woman laid to rest today. And our first guest knows an awful lot about her. He is a journalist, a historian, the author of the best-selling book, The Crown in Crisis, Countdown to the Abdication. He is Alexander Larman, and he'll be joining us at the top of the show to go through the final phase of the mourning and public funeral for Queen Elizabeth II. And one last time to honor an extraordinary woman committed to public service, to common sense, 
to right and wrong in an era where so much moral relativism dominates in Europe. She is going to be missed, and today's ceremony was a fitting send-off to her as well. After that, we're going to take a brief, brief detour to the American economy. We can't stop focusing on it. Inflation, food prices, gas prices, worker shortages, all having a negative effect on the economy. And our good friend, Elaine Parker from Job Creators Network is here to join us. She's going to be talking about a big announcement. Her group, which represents Main Street America, 30 million small businesses, is holding Wednesday to roll out a plan to save small businesses. It's called the Save Small Business Initiative. We're also going to talk to her about something President Biden said in his interview with 60 Minutes last night. A lot of people focus on the fact that he's not sure he's going to run for re-election. That is news, big news. But he said something that may have a profound legal effect. What was that? He said that the pandemic is over. Those were his words. The pandemic is over. That might be a problem for the Biden administration because it was the pandemic emergency powers that the Biden administration just elicited one month ago as a justification for imposing the student loan debt cancellation, which was done without congressional approval. It appears that the president may have taken that authority away by declaring the pandemic over. We're going to ask Elaine about that because... Job Creators Network is planning to sue to challenge the student loan cancellation as a un- illegal, unlawful inflationary act by the president. We'll also talk to her about crime, because while inflation and rising prices and supply chain shortages and other economic forces are buffeting small business America, there's one that is having even a more profound effect. Crime in urban neighborhoods, crime in blue cities, it's causing both small businesses and famous franchises like the McDonald's franchises. They're rolling up. They're like, we're done with this. We're not doing this anymore. We're going to talk to her about that as well. Lane is one of the most sound voices on all things economic, small business, Main Street America. Looking forward to both interviews. All right, so we're going to take a quick commercial break here from our sponsors, partners, and advertisers. First up, the great British author, Alexander Larman. One last time to talk about Queen Elizabeth II, followed by Elaine Parker, one of the most important voices on Main Street America, the Chief Communications Officer for the Job Creators Network. We'll be right back with both after these commercial messages. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, 
Thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As you all know, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II has been ongoing today. Our next guest is really an expert on the monarchy in Great Britain. He has written, I think, the single most important book on the monarchy in the last decade, The Crown in Crisis, Countdown to the Abdication. He's a fantastic journalist and author, and we welcome to the show right now Alexander Larman. Alexander, great to have you on. John, it's a privilege to be speaking to you. You have, I think, put the modern monarchy into such extraordinary context with the book, The Crowning Crisis. Now there's been this prolonged period of mourning as one of the extraordinary figures of the monarchy is laid to rest. I want to start with, you've had a few days now to absorb this and see all of the honorifics and the statements made about Queen Elizabeth II, but your own personal impression of her contribution to world history. Well, I mean, it's very interesting because while she was alive and while we all had the opportunity to actually observe her, we could see that she was an extraordinary figure. I mean, it's very rare. I suppose Winston Churchill was the last example. I mean, I don't think there's been an American president to compare to her, certainly not since FDR. But you can certainly look at the way in which she's dominated the world, she's dominated society. And the fact that you see the the grieving is not just a British phenomenon, but an international phenomenon. It's something that when Macron said to to the people of Britain, to you, she was your queen, to us, she was just the queen. He actually hit upon something, I think, very universal, very elegantly, that she she was not just the queen of Great Britain, she was the queen full stop. 
And it was very interesting because what happened when the, the, the day of her death was that I knew from about lunchtime that she was very much on, on the point of dying. And it was very strange for me because I was sitting throughout that afternoon unable to concentrate on anything else. And I suppose that I had time to think about it and to put my own reactions to her in, in context. And the, and the thing I constantly feel and felt for a very long time, actually, because I think we've all known that she's not been well this year. I think we've known that the end was coming. I mean, I thought there was a slim chance she might make it through to being 100, but it's a very slim chance. It's, we have the opportunity to see her as a figure who was a, a historic figure and somebody who combined duty with an absolutely vital sense of understanding what the monarchy was for the 20th and 21st century. Yeah, and what struck me more than anything, and you know, we've all seen major funerals before we have them here when our presidents die, but the number of people waiting in line and traveling far distances to participate in the funeral and participate in the mourning period is amazing. And you, you wrote something very eloquent. It's like a pilgrimage. It's obviously a real personal inconvenience, but I think people see this as something greater than themselves. What a great line. Tell us a little bit about the personal journey that so many Britons are having in participating in the morning. Well, I think that this queue that's been going through Britain, going through London over, over the last couple of days, it's been a very interesting thing because obviously, on the one hand, it's a reasonably straightforward thing. People want to see their monarch's coffin in Westminster Hall. And Obviously, there's a huge, huge number of people who want to do this. But what's happened in Britain is that the queue and the sort of pilgrimage that people are undertaking has become something far bigger. It's become something that's almost like a sort of... It's as if people are finding their own outlet of grief in this act of putting themselves through hours and hours and hours of discomfort and boredom and... You know, because in Britain, obviously, the joke is that we all love queuing. But this is, I think, the most famous queue there's ever been. Because there's certainly the case that people want to see the Queen. They want to be with her for one final time. What's been so interesting is that, I mean, the big news story today was that the footballer David Beckham was in the queue for 12 hours. And that he, obviously, <laughs> is a figure who's a nationally recognized figure. But apparently, he was just there. He was there quite anonymously till the end. Yeah, it is really remarkable. You know, I often forget this because it was only a couple of decades after the abdication crisis in America, the one that you write about so eloquently in your book that Elizabeth took over. And I think in those 20 years between after Queen Edward basically said, I'm quitting because I can't have my wife as queen, the love of my life as my queen. There is this period where I think the monarchy kind of just malingered for a while. And then it seems like Queen Elizabeth became like a recentering of the monarchy. Is that the right way to look at her, that for 20 years there was some uncertainty about what the monarchy would be, and then she kind of becomes a figure that's so stabilizing for so long? Yes, I think what's fair to say is that Edward VIII was an absolutely terrible monarch. He was somebody who failed at even the basic demands of it, apart from being quite good socially. And then he was succeeded by George VI, who was much better in terms of duty and in terms of the idea of being a monarch who does things that he should do. But then neither of them, I think, were a steady figure because obviously George VI had this appalling stammer. So when it came to Elizabeth II becoming queen in 1952, there's very much a sense of her taking over the role of something that had been 
slipping away and managing to actually, you know, steady the ship. Yeah, there definitely seems to be that when you look back at history now, and I did some historical reading going back to the early 50s. You do such an amazing job in the book capturing the drama of King Ingebert. I mean, it was really a scandal at the time, but she seems like this extraordinary, long stabilizing force with the monarchy, and it had its problems, Diana and Charles and Camilla, and even at the end here with Harry and Meghan, but it seems like the stability, the lack of drama and the sort of increase of stability really did the crown well during that period. It's going to be a tough act to follow. And I'm curious, as you look over the last 10 days, what you've seen in King Charles and how he will fit into the imagination and the acceptance of the British people. Well, what's interesting in Britain is there's a real sense that we know King Charles because we've seen him in public life for so long. Obviously, when Elizabeth became queen, there wasn't much of a sense of anyone knowing her because there'd been this short period that she'd been you know, Princess Elizabeth, but it was a relatively short period because we have had, you know, a good 50 years of Charles in adult life and public life. And he he did a good speech when he was doing the first address to his nation. It was well written. It was engaging. It struck the right notes. There was the embarrassment about him losing his temper because he couldn't find his pen. Which I, love I think those two things showed him at his best and his worst at the same time because the speech, I thought, showed him well, and in terms of it showed him being articulate. His, his, his writer was clearly very good, but it showed him as a, both a son and as a, and as a figurehead and as a head of state. So that, I thought, worked very well. His being angry about his pen and putting the wrong date showed him as being petty and <laughs> quick to anger. And I think that's possibly what we're going to see from now on for the rest of his reign. We're going to see a mixture of a public figure, because it's it's still very strange to refer to the king. And I mean, I, I instinctively refer to Prince Charles, not to King Charles. It's going to take some time to get used to that. And his mom was absolutely, the queen was an absolute inherit to don't complain, don't explain. But Charles does a lot of complaining and explaining. And he's just uniquely, he has this sort of unique flaw of humanity that seems to bleed through. I don't, does that make him more tangible to everyday folks? Or does it make it frustrating that he has sort of these social flaws in his repertoire? Well, I think this is a problem with Edward VIII and George VI in completely different ways. But neither of them were the figure that people wanted their monarch to be. Whereas Elizabeth was the person who people wanted her to be. Because what's going to be very interesting is I'm going to be at some point, hopefully, writing a book about the, the young Elizabeth, the, you know, the early days of her reign and her marriage and so forth. And what I want to explore in that book, if I write it, is what she was like. Because we have such a tiny idea of what she was like as a human being. I mean, we've got the speeches and we've got the, you know, the public utterances and the very, very limited interviews she gave. But what we have next to no idea about, and I mean, the Crown has done a good job of, you know, imagining it, but we have very little idea about what made her tick. We have very little idea about what, what her interests were. I mean, we know she liked horse racing. We're always told that she, she liked this, she liked that. But we, we know, I mean, you know, <laughs> She was the Queen of England for longer than anybody else has ever been monarch here. And the, the, the maxim of never complain, never explain did her very well. Yeah, nah, there's no doubt. It definitely fit her demeanor and she seemed unflappable. I mean, really did seem unflappable. And even the most difficult moments in their family or royalty, she seemed unflappable. Every so often an American seems to intrude in the British royalty, often with mixed results. Obviously, Wallace Simpson one that will be forever remembered. But we've got 
right now going on with Prince Harry, a lot of drama. I'm curious how the Meghan thing plays out in the morning period. I saw overnight that there was a relenting and Harry got to wear his uniform for the ceremony. But the Meghan thing, how does it linger over the transition? Well, the the Harry uniform thing, I think, is a small story blown up into a big story because it's Harry. Um, Meghan is keeping very quiet. It's very interesting. She clearly realises that this is not her story. She clearly realises there's not a lot she can do or say, but if she was to say or do anything, the consequences would be horrendous. But it's it's very strange. I mean, I suppose it's a bit like you've been watching a Hollywood film, but you watch its sequel, and the stars of the film are a bit part players in the second one. Now you're waiting for the next film, in which they come back to be the stars again. Yeah, it really is remarkable. When the morning finally ends, and we're obviously got some more time to go, but when it all ends and life starts to return to normal, Europe is heading into a very difficult fall and winter with the concerns about food, the concerns about energy, the Putin war on Ukraine. This will be King Charles' first real test, as it will be for Liz Truss. How do you see the next four or five months playing out, and what things should all of us be watching for as tea leaves for how the king and the new prime minister navigate what's going to be a tricky few months? Um, It's not going to go well, is it? I mean, basically, the thing is, is that there's this weird, cautious period now where Charles is being allowed a kind of honeymoon period, but it's not really a honeymoon period because it's a situation that nobody wanted, least of all him, I think, in the final analysis. And yes, you're right. I mean, politically, things are very difficult in Britain and Europe right now. I would not want to be prime minister and I would not want to be king if I was either Liz Truss or Charles. So it's, no, I think it's going to be horrendously difficult because there's a real mood settling over the country of loss. And I think people have been affected by the Queen's death and they'll be affected by family members' death. And I think that we have to see it in terms of it is, it's not a tragedy because tragedy is something that happens when it's an unexpected event. Definitely it's yours, woman, it can never be a tragedy. But what it is, it's, it's, it's taken something existential away from the body politic of Britain. And I think that what we also, we're not going to see in our lifetimes, or probably a very long time after that, somebody ruling for 70 years. So it's simply going to be the case that, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to the royal family from now on, because there has not been any kind of swell of Republican sentiment in Britain. But... I've always believed one day it probably will come. And when it comes, I wonder what form it'll take. Yeah, that will be an amazing moment to assess. It'll say a lot about the post-Brexit Great Britain. How has the rest of Europe reacted? Obviously, there's the enormous respect. There's universal respect for Elizabeth II. But how has the rest of Europe watching this long? In fact, it looks like you know Great Britain is actually just in a giant doldrum right now. It's just a long period of mourning. How has the rest of Europe reacted to this? And what will they be looking for as a sign of normalcy returning after the mourning period ends? Well, I think that what people want now is a sense of leadership. They want a sense that King Charles is going to be seen as a reassuring figure. I think people want to see a reconciliation between William and Harry. They want to see business as usual resume. I think actually what a lot of people would like to see is for Harry to, I mean, I think a lot of people would actually say in their heart of hearts, they want to, Harry, like to see Harry send Meghan back to America <laughs> and just, you know, resume how things were before he met her but that's not going to happen obviously so i think that's the thing we always have to bear in mind that there's a fantasy 
And then there's the reality. And the reality is, is that Harry has a memoir that's going to come out in not this year. I imagine no publisher would dare to bring it out now. But probably next autumn, next, next fall, I think that Harry's memoir will come out and it will be damaging and there will be arguments and publicity and so forth. So hostilities have might have there's, there's a truce but there's no armistice at the moment yeah and then the king in waiting prince william how has he performed as the heir apparent uh, what is the early impression and he seems to have some he and his wife both seem to have a tremendous connectivity to the the british people am i misreading that or is there a warmness there that is legit i think there's, there's great warmness towards him actually i think he's somebody who I think people see him as, you know, he's, he's a dutiful man. He's, I think he's a bit like his father. He gets irritable. He gets, you know, annoyed about things. But he does his duty. And I think people are fond of him, fond of his wife, and just see him as a, a future king. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting place to be, to be future king. And obviously, Charles yeah, held that yeah. position for a long time. <laughs> he could write the book on it. Well, Alexander, it is always an honor to have you on. Your writing, your journalism, your historical analysis is an absolute treasure. And I know this is going to be another difficult week for our great ally, Great Britain. But it is remarkable and I think memorable that the entire world has very few times in the world where a singular figure, there is universal agreement about her impact on history. And that's one thing Elizabeth II holds, which is an absolute, there's a unanimity across the board of what her contribution was. And that is a remarkable thing. Absolutely. John, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I should look forward to doing so again soon. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. No place in America has felt the downward spiral of our economy more than Main Street. They are the job creators of America. They are 
the producers, the grocers, the people who keep our neighborhoods up and running, small business America, so negatively affected over the last year and a half of economic downturn, inflation, supply chain shortages. And our next guest knows that pain well. She is the voice of Main Street, working so closely with 30 million small businesses a year. She's the Chief Communications Officer for the Job Creators Network, Elaine Parker. Elaine, great to have you on the show. Hey, John, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to have you on. I want to start just about the state of small business. The more inflation persists, the more the supply chain shortages persist. It seems as though more and more mom and pop, everyday Main Street American businesses are being squeezed. How bad is the situation on Main Street? Well, look, I mean, I mean, you, you sort of just summed it up really well, John. I mean, small businesses for the last two and a half years through the pandemic, they have really taken the brunt of, of all of this. And in coming out of the, the pandemic, um, they were faced with uh, record inflation and high gas prices and labor shortages. And all of these things disproportionately impact um, in a negative way our small businesses. And at the same time, last week when we were listening to um, inflation come back at 8.3%, showing that it isn't going anywhere and that this administration has no control over it, the stock market tanked almost 1,300 points along with all of our retirements, and the president is claiming mission accomplished at a, at a celebration on the front lawn. I have news for you, Joe. This is not a mission accomplished. Yeah, it's anything but mission accomplished. If anything, it's mission destroyed because we were so much better just two, three years ago when you look at every economic indicator. You recently did a poll that showed how much the small business community was worried about crime. I think it said 65% of small businesses, crime was forcing them to consider moving to another location or closing. We don't talk about it as one of the economic forces, but it is a real economic force. If you're running a shop and it's getting hit by smash and grab or your customer's afraid to walk down the street to get to you, it is an economic indicator. What's going on in that front? Well, look, um, thanks for referencing our small business IQ, IQ poll. Um, and that 65% of small business owners that are very concerned about small business, about crime for their small businesses, that number jumps to a staggering 85% when you look at just minority small business owners. Um, and, and that's because they're typically located in, in, in more, um, uh, you know, cities and things like that. So they, they're subjected to more crime as a result. And, and look, John, we have seen, uh, I don't think we've ever seen America so divided as we did during the pandemic. Um, it really showed the division, um, whether it was masks or vaccines or shutdowns or, you know, I could go down the list of how, how divided we were. But, it, but as we've come out of this, and you can see how blue states are setting themselves apart, they're failing at every turn um, from the red states and really setting themselves apart. Um, the red states have continued to thrive in spite of a federal government that is doing them no favors. Crime has become a major issue in these cities. And um, I, I don't know if you read last week, but McDonald's announced that they're very concerned about crime for their stores in the city of Chicago. Chicago continues to be the, the sort of the poster child for this, but there's a lot of cities that are running neck and neck almost for first place with them. Yeah, it's really scary. And when a McDonald's pulls out of a neighborhood, when the grocery store pulls out of a neighborhood, the gas station closed down, all the residents of that neighborhood pay a double penny. They're already suffering from the effects of crime. Now they have no place to go and shop and they may have to go take a bus ride a long way to go get food or the necessities of life. It really is a cascading set of problems that has been created. 
Have you seen anything from the White House, from the Congress, from any of the blue states, at least, to put anything in place that would have a positive effect on fighting crime, reversing the crime tide? I mean, what I have seen is just a complete, uh, almost denial, just detachment from what is really happening. And you've got these companies speaking out. I mean, even Starbucks, I mean, it, 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 the CEO, Howard Schultz, is, is very liberal, and yet they have begun closing stores. Um, Target has, has closed stores and acknowledged the crime in some states is affecting um, their ability to do business. Walgreens is closing stores. But you think about it. If, if, a, if these big companies are closing four stores or 1,400 stores or 400 stores, whatever it is, these are major companies that are speaking out, and that's why they get headlines. But think about the small business. McDonald's closes six stores in Chicago, let's say. But what about the guy or the gal who owns a pizza parlor in downtown Chicago and continues to get hit by crime and has to close? That's their only location. They're done. They're out of business. McDonald's is going to go on. They've got thousands of locations around the country. Starbucks has thousands of locations. The community loses. But these leaders in these states and these mayors in these cities are not doing enough. They're being soft on crime. We're even seeing um, in San Francisco, liberal voters literally recalled a soft on crime prosecutor. It's an amazing thing. Amazing. Amazing. And, and they just continue to not listen. The, the CEOs of major corporations in New York City, as New York City was trying to open, went and met with the mayor because the employees didn't feel safe coming to work during the day. I mean, that's significant. Yeah, and that's, that is an extraordinary thing. I, I was talking to a small business owner in L.A. yesterday, and I said, it must be frustrating to be in a city where the crime is just running rampant and the cops have both hands tied behind their backs. That, Oh, we passed frustration a long time ago. We're desperate now. We're actually at the point of desperation to be protected. What an extraordinary statement for someone that, you know, just trying to make two nickels running a business. It's a really amazing thing. I want to turn for a second to an issue that most people might not think on the forefront is a small business issue. But then when you understand the downstream consequences, it clearly is the student loan cancellation program that President Biden announced about a month ago. Job Creators Network has talked about suing to block that because it's going to have an inflationary pressure. Last night, the president in his 60 Minutes interview declared that the pandemic was over. And I want to ask you the significance of that, given that it was pandemic emergency authorities that the president was citing to justify how he could cancel student debt without congressional approval. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that and then where you are in the litigation process. Yeah, John, uh, this student loan bailout, um, you know, aside from sort of the moral the moral piece that it, it's just not fair. Um, it, it just, it, it's going to add to the inflationary fire we're dealing with. And, and I think equally important, it doesn't solve the problem of why we have such exorbitant tuition. And part of it is because government continues to interfere and distort um, that part of the market. Um, and, and that is why it, it encourages uh, universities to increase tuition. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, we, we are considering, Job Courage Network is considering litigation. We're looking at um, a couple of legal paths. Um, we have to, you know, all of us kind of have to wait until the administration actually takes an administrative um, uh, course of action and does something. I mean, all they've done is really made an announcement. So there's nothing to file against. But we are looking at our paths. We, we, um, we certainly have a history of filing litigation against this administration. We were the first small business administration to file against 
um, the Biden administration on the vaccine mandate. We were the first to petition to the Supreme Court. That was very successful. It was a clear overreach. Um, this is a clear overreach as well. I mean, regardless of what they're claiming is gives them authority, um, the, the Biden administration does not have the authority to do this. It is a clear overreach. And, and particularly when they're referencing a law that was put in place during uh, the September 11th attacks, but was was um, being used uh, under the pandemic. If he's declaring that the pandemic is over, then I think he actually just took away his own um, justification for why he thinks he has the authority. Yeah, such an important point. I think a lot of people miss the significance of that, but it puts them in a tough bind. And they, they've been walking back other parts of his statements over the last 24 hours since the 60 Minutes interview, I suspected that we might see something go on there soon as well. I want to turn to an initiative that I think you're unveiling on Wednesday, the Small Business Initiative. Talk us a little bit about what's going to be rolled out and why it's important at this moment in our economic strife to have this initiative front and center in America. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to talk about this with you today and all of your listeners On Wednesday, September 21st this week at 3 o'clock, Job Creators Network is holding a press conference at the Capitol Hill Club to launch the American Small Business Prosperity Plan. And this plan was put together in partnership with former Speaker Newt Gingrich. We're very excited about his input on the plan. Um, He certainly has partnered with us on um, other initiatives in the past, and his input is just so valuable. Um, But the purpose of the plan, it is an eight-point plan to give members of Congress and congressional candidates a positive and pro-growth economic agenda for the midterm campaign and and specific policies to enact into law if they're elected into the next Congress. Um, This is, you know, this is uh, something that every member of Congress, regardless of party, should be able to get behind. Um, There are more than 30 million small business owners in this country. They are the backbone of this country, and they are suffering in a disproportionate way under the uh, policies of this administration. This plan will be the guiding light to bring small businesses back. Yeah, so important to have. Everyone can identify a problem a lot of times, but getting the solutions that actually create success that people get back on their feet is so important. And that's what Job Creators Network does so well. You guys have really thought out plans. You've tested it with your business owners, you know what they need. And I think uh, Wednesday's announcement, we'll be there covering it live at Just the News, is going to be so, so important. As we look out, the next big moment for a correction in the direction of the American economy is going to come on November 8th with the election. What factors, if you're a small business owner, and by the way, we see Hispanic small business owners growing by epic proportions. There are lots of new entrants into the Main Street America economy. What are the important issues that are going to cause them to pull the lever on November 8th? Look, I mean, I think every poll um, shows that it's the economy, but I don't think, you know, I don't think uh, ordinary Americans are reading the polls every day like you and I are. Um, I think that when they go to the grocery store and they fill up their tank and um, they get their electricity bills and they're just trying to go out to dinner with their family on a Friday night, um, they are experiencing the highest inflation, near highest inflation that we've had in 41 years. Um, and it's very painful for everyday ordinary Americans, middle class, and of course the poor feeling it the most. Um, and I think that is where they're going to be motivated and what they're going to be motivated to do is vote for change um, and, and better policies than what we're seeing because a clear majority of the country thinks that we are on the wrong track. 
Um, and so I think we're going to see um, a clear change in November. And hopefully this plan um, that we've put together for small businesses will also help small businesses come back. We believe it will, um, and it will tackle some of the major issues that small businesses are facing as headwinds. So important. And a tight labor market's another one of the ones that we don't talk about, but there's a problem getting people to work full time that has to be an incredible encroachment on small business owners. I've been really impressed this year. I've been doing a lot of interviews with first time candidates and there are so many first time candidates. And the first thing is, what do you do? I'm a small business person. Heidi Ganahl, John James, you can go up and down the tickets. Very diverse women, African-Americans, Hispanics. Small business owners seem to have taken their experience on Main Street and now seem empowered or inspired to take it to Washington to get some common sense. Are you amazed by the number of small business owners that have jumped into the political frying pan? You know, I, I'm not. I, I've been working with small business owners for the last decade, and they're, they're a group that is generally very involved in their communities. They understand the importance of giving back, um, and they understand what their contribution is to their communities through jobs. Um, they're, the, they're the people who sponsor the little leagues in, in their towns. I mean, you name it, they are the fabric of every community across the country, and they understand their influence as well. And we do work with small business owners across the country to amplify that voice and their stories because there is no more credible voice about what policies are hurting or helping small businesses than the person who is in the trenches trying to survive with their small business. Yeah. When you say they have finger on the pulse, that sometimes is cliche, but it is really true. Main Street America has their finger on the pulse like few others in the country have. Elaine, you guys do so much amazing work at Job Creators Network. What's the best way for someone who's listening today to get plugged into what you're doing, to watch the initiative, the Safe Small Business Initiative on Wednesday? What are the best ways to stay in touch? They can go to jobcreatorsnetwork.com. The, the, um, the prosperity plan will be uh, live linked they're on that, um, uh, on that uh, website. That's our main website. If they want to get involved in the organization, they can get involved that way. If they want to get our newsletter, they can get our newsletter that way, and they can check back often as well. Yeah, that's really exciting to do that. I check it every day, guys, because there's always something interesting. As a reporter, I, there are just such unique facts and perspectives that mainstream America bring to my reporting repertoire. I check Job Creators Network every day. You should, too. Whether you're a small business person or not, there's some really, really valuable information there. Elaine, we always love having you on. It's an honor. I will be watching Wednesday's event and covering it live. I think we're going to stream it live here at Just the News so people can watch it here as well. And I want to thank you for the time. Thanks, John. Always good to be with you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, thanks for joining us on a busy, busy Monday morning or Monday afternoon, I should say. A lot going on. If you need to check on all the breaking news headlines, go to justthenews.com. We've got you covered 24-7. Now, before we go, a quick tease for tonight. We've got two great guests coming on the television show tonight on Just the News, Not Noise with Amanda Had and I at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Real America's Voice, Channel 219 on the Dish Satellite System, Channel 240 on Pluto, and on all the apps, including the Just the News app. If you haven't downloaded the Just the News app, you're missing a great way to experience us. You can read, watch, and listen. And the watch is how you can watch my show on the live stream. So go check out that app. But at 6 o'clock tonight, Congressman Daryl Issa and Congressman Brian Babin here to talk about the border crisis, the economic crisis, some of the comments President Biden made in his 60 Minutes interview yesterday, a must-watch, must-see television show tonight. We've got a lot of great folks. I'm really excited about that. Now, before we go, each of us know somebody that runs a business. If you don't do it yourself, I run just the news. I know I'm a small business. I know what it's like. Uh, I felt some of Elaine's pain as she was talking about it today. But when you're running a business, your employees can create all sorts of challenges. That's the true thing. You can have an issue like sexual harassment. You can have an issue about onboarding, ongoing training, health issues. And if you don't have a full-time HR director, it falls on you, the business owner, and it is a big burden. And so we have a great partner, Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E, Bambi. Well, they create a service that provides you your own dedicated HR manager. I'm not making this up. It starts at only $99 a month cost, $99 a month. That is an unbelievable bargain. And for it, you get someone who's available by phone, email, or real-time chat to handle all of your HR needs, including onboarding and terminations, making sure you stay in compliance with all of the state, local, and federal regulations that are imposed on small businesses. If you aren't taking advantage of this, you're taking a big risk. If You you know what an HR manager can cost, anywhere from eighty dollars to $100,000 a year, Bambi's going to fill that void for as little as $99 a month. That is a steal. Why not check them out today? They put up a really great opportunity for everybody who is in the Justin News, John Solomon Reports family. Here's what you do. You go to Bambi.com, okay? Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E.com. All right, and then you type in John Solomon, my name, John, S-O-L-O-M-O-N, under the podcast when you sign up. It's really going to help the show and you're going to get a free assessment about what Bambi can do for your company. So if you're running a company or you know somebody that's running a company, why not take the time to get a free analysis of what your company can benefit from with Bambi's HR services. You'll be putting HR on autopilot with people who know it better than anyone else. All you got to do, go to Bambi.com. That's B-A-M-B-E-E.com. Type in the word John Solomon, my name, under the podcast And they're going to know you came from this great show from the Justin News family. And they're going to treat you like royalty as they give you an assessment of your HR needs. All right, folks, that wraps up things for the day. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite. 
you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.